0: Well, good morning. Welcome. My name is Sam Andreatis. I'm one of the pastors here, and we have been reading through and going through the book of Revelation. It's been very exciting. Um, We're going to uh, continue that this morning. We're going to talk about how we can read the book of Revelation, because, you know, you read some of the things that John says he deals in symbols and images talking to us about these things, And so the question comes, how do we interpret these? What are these things that John is talking about? Uh, and we, we looked at this passage last week, just uh, some, of the, some of chapter nine. And in, in chapter nine, we read about the, the bottomless pit being opened. It's very exciting, but these locusts come out of the pit. And they come upon the earth to bring harm upon the earth. And so the question is, what are these locusts? And so there's a certain way of reading the book of Revelation where you, you take your newspaper, and you open it up and you read your newspaper or your newsfeed online, and you say, ah, oh, this is what's going on. You go back and you say, and, and this is the way you conclude, we're living in the end times. So you take the, thing, the, the current headlines and you read them back into the book. But when you do that, it turns out that the meaning of things will change over time because, you know, these headlines change. And so the locusts from hell, as the church has read them that way in different areas, they've, they've successively been the vandals, and then the goths, and then the Persians, and then Muslims, and then heretics, and then helicopters, and... A few decades ago, it was the Beatles. Actually, the rock group, the Beatles. Uh, you laugh, but I was, uh, during when I was growing up, um, someone explained this to me, and I was so taken with it that I opened the Bible. I wasn't a Christian, never cracked a Bible, but this was so exciting to me that I, I, I had to understand. So I opened the Bible for the first time in order to read Revelation chapter 9, and it all started to make sense because Revelation chapter 9, okay, Revelation 9 was not too different from a track on the Beatles album, the White Album that was released, you know, not too long ago. The White Album was this double record set, and it had a lot of strange recordings on it, and one of the recordings Wasn't really a song, but it was a track on the White Album. It was called Revolution number nine. Revolution nine. Revolution nine? Revelation nine? You think it's a coincidence? I don't think so. So I opened Revelation 9 to read about this, and I read, even even in chapter in chapter 9, verses 7 through 8 that the appearance of these locusts was described. And John said, they had the appearance, they had the face of a man, but they had hair like a woman. Hair like a woman, what's it talking about? The beetles. Now, that might not look like women's hair to you now, but let me tell you, in the 1960s, that was women's hair. So it just fit. And then, but it wasn't, it wasn't just that. You read on the next verse, and it said these locusts, they had breastplates of iron. And you say, what, what could they mean, the breastplates of iron? Well, if you think about it, if you're somebody in the first century, you know, a common person like John, just just in the first century. And all these interpretations, by the way, they all depend upon you saying at a certain point, well, if a first century person looked at our time, they wouldn't understand what was going on, right? They wouldn't understand our technology. So what would they think? It all depends on that kind of thinking. And so what would they think if they saw someone with an electric guitar, right? It was a breastplate. They wouldn't know what an electric guitar is. It's a breastplate of iron, right? Right? It all makes sense. And not only that, if he goes on and says, the sound of their wings was like the sound of many horses and chariots. You could just read this. Rushing into battle. Revelation 9, verse 9. It was like the noise of many chariots rushing into battle. And you know, a lot of parents... At that time, we're listening to the Beatles and saying, "That's not music; it's just noise." Well, there it is in Revelation nine. It's the noise of many chariots rushing into battle. Especially when you add in the newly invented and uh, newly used effect of guitar distortion. There was this great noise that came forth from these wings, you know. And there was a track actually in the White Album that was heavily using distortion. It was revolution. It was a slow version of revolution. And it went, ah, you say you want a revolution. Well, you know. It's the noise of many battles. It just went on and on. It started to make sense. It's the Beatles. And then the next verse. Read the next verse, and it said they, had, they were given the power to harm people, and you know John Lennon didn't help because in, he came out and said stupidly in an interview, well, you know, the, the, the phenomenon of the Beatles is so big, they're bigger even than Jesus Christ. Bad thing to say in an interview, right? And people said, well, there it is. He, the Beatles are leading people into idolatry. And, well, that part was actually true. A lot of people were idolizing the Beatles, and, you know, girls were screaming Paul McCartney and stuff. There was idolization. It was like, they're doing harm. And Revelation, the next verse, says, the power to do harm was in their tails. And you're saying, well, where are the tails on the Beatles? First century person would look at an electric guitar. This is their tail, Right? Do, 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 the power to harm is in their tail, especially on a Hogner bass. So that's where it was. Now, let's, let's give a hand for Paul's uh, bass here. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Thank you. If it seems like, you know, I'm making fun of this way of reading Revelation, it's because I'm making fun of this way of reading Revelation. Like, this is not the way that we should read the Bible. It's not the way we should read this book. And I'll give you one simple reason for it. It's a letter. The book of Revelation is a letter. Chapter one, verse four. John comes on and gives the standard letter epistolary greeting. He says, John, to the seven churches in the the region of Asia, or Asia Minor, he's writing to actual people. He's writing to churches, and, and I've been there. These are real places. I've been there, and, you know, you can, I, I can show you pictures. Maybe I will in this series of pretty Mary Kay standing there. Here I am at Pergamum, you know, on this mountain. Here I am at the Eshlepon. Here I am at the, at the throne of Satan, you know. These are actual places with actual churches full of actual people. So if you do that, you say, well, it's, you know, it's the Beatles or it's helicopters, you know, then what you're doing is trivializing the original audience. Because John was writing to people in a way that they would have to know what he was talking about. And they would have no idea what they were talking about if that way of reading the book of Revelation were true. You see? They'd have no no way to understand it. And it's not like God said to John, you know, seal up the vision. This is not for you. He doesn't say that to John. He says, instead, go out and prophesy this. Go out and tell people, kings and all sorts of different people. He says, go out and tell us and publish it. So it's it's a communication between people. So that means, friends, there's a better way. What we want to do is not try to look at our headlines and find them in the book of Revelation. Rather, we want to look at the world of Revelation and see how, that, how it applies to them, because then we can apply it to our headlines. That is, we have to go first and see what it, under, what, what it was to them, what the meaning of the text was to them, and then we're being in a place to bring it forward, is what I'm saying. And when we do that, we see that much of what we read in the book actually shows us first century Rome. And there's one fatal flaw with doing it this way. You know, when you try to read the, read the book in context, there's one big problem with that. And it's the reason why a lot of times the church hasn't read it that way. There's one big problem. You know what the problem is? It's this, it's not as fun. It's not as fun. It's pretty cool standing there with the electric guitar, ah, oh, it's the Beatles, you know, or it's helicopters, or, you know, the bear is Russia. That's fun to do. Also, it also makes money. You know, can actually make a lot of money writing books about that. It's not as fun to do this. So while I have a job this morning. I'll tell you what I think my job is this morning. My job this morning is to try to prove to you that reading the book in context, that reading the book the way I'm saying, respecting the original audience, that's actually just as fun. That's what I'm going to try to do this morning. That's my challenge before you. Well, let's try. Please stand with me as I read from Revelation chapter 13. And we're going to be reading the first 10 verses. I'll read them to you from the ESV version, and then also the last verse of the chapter, verse 18. And you can follow along, I hope, in your Bible or in the bulletin. Again, we're in Revelation chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne, and his great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world and the book of life of the Lamb who is was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. This calls for wisdom, Let the one who has understanding, calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six, six, six. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. (laughs) 666. Six, six. Well, in AD 54, the world changed. The world changed in a big way because AD 54 was the year that Nero Caesar came to power. And this was one of the emperors, the fifth emperor of the Roman Empire. And let me tell you, if you you probably know that name, if you've read any history at all. Nero Caesar was a bloodthirsty tyrant. I mean, he was awful. There are certain things that he did, and it almost seemed like the reason he did them was simply to be cruel. I mean, it was like he went beyond and just did things that just seemed cruel. It was like he was a psychopath. And so there was this long series of political murders that people witnessed in the first century and kind of knew about it. This is what we can tell from the writings that we have. Of the time. And the kind of most notorious murder that Nero committed was the murder, it seems, of his own mother, Agrippina. He actually, it seemed, killed his own mother. So this guy was a beast. He was beastly. He was the first emperor to actually persecute the Christian church. Christianity had been really spreading like wildfire. been kind of kind of taken over the whole Roman Empire. It was really, it was it was an amazing time. It seemed like the kingdom of heaven was coming. And this, this emperor came on. It, it it suddenly came to the notice of Rome, and he was the first person, the first emperor, actually to persecute. There were local persecutions, but this was the first emperor to actually persecute Christians. And it was in Rome, but it was brutal, and he was brutal. He would take Christians. He would, if you were known as a Christian, he would seize you and he, burn you alive. He burned people alive as torches. So imagine what this was like if you were a Christian at that time. Imagine the trauma that you'd be experiencing. Here the kingdom of heaven was coming in. It was happening. And then this one came, came forward the, and rose to power excuse me, the power, Nero Caesar. In fact, this was the persecution that, that likely was the one that killed the Apostle Peter and likely killed the Apostle Paul. Think about that. They're the leaders of the movement suddenly taken out. What would it feel like to you if you were in the first century? And it wasn't just the Christians. The people at the time in the empire recognized his beastliness. And that, in fact, I put these, you know, you have some quotations in the beginning of your bulletin from, from contemporaries. Marcus Aurelius, a later emperor, he actually called Nero the beast. He's a beast. And a contemporary there also, one of the you know, visitors to Rome at the time, Apollonius of of Tiana, he calls Nero, Nero Caesar, the beast. So he was clearly beast like, he, he was killing God's witnesses. And he was fully demonstrating the opposition to the kingdom of heaven that rose up in response to the success of the Christian witness. So who are we looking at, friends, when we hear John describe the beast? Well, let me show you something. It's pretty cool. But to do that, I have to teach you a new word, okay? Here's a word you've probably never heard of before. In fact, if you know this word, I'd be very impressed. The word is gematria, gematria, you know that word? Even he doesn't know the word, and he's a statistician. Well, you should know this word, gematria. Gematria was actually a big thing in the first century. It was actually a thing. And it arose because the alphabets that would be in use at the time in these circles didn't have numbers, separate symbols for numbers. So whether you're talking about Hebrew or Greek, they didn't have a separate number system. Like uh, we, we use Arabic numbers, symbols, right, for numbers. Greek didn't have that. Hebrew didn't have that. And so each of the letters in the alphabet stood for a number. So Yoda in Greek was, was 10. Ada is 8. Things like that. Each of the numbers, each of the letters actually stood also for a number. And that meant you could take a word in one of these languages and you could add up the letters add up the numbers that's, that the letters stand for in the word, and you would get the number of a word. Or if you, you would get a, the number of a name. And that's gematria. And it was a thing that people did. It's kind of a natural thing if you don't have separate numbers. Like a word could be also a number. In fact, in Pompeii, you know, that, that uh, city that was covered by a volcano and then recently excavated, they found graffiti. There was a certain graffiti they found in Pompeii. And it, w- and it said this, quote, I love a girl whose number is 545. And you think it's kind of cute. It's like a secret code. It's like this guy left this graffiti for his lover, and other people wouldn't know it. But she would, she would know the number of her name, right? She could count up her letters. So she would know who this was. But other people it would be a little harder to figure out, right? A little puzzle. So this was a thing. Gematria was a thing that they did. And it turns out, if you go back to verse 18 now, and we read verse 18, you see what he's saying. The number of the beast is the number of a man, and his number is 666. What is that? It's a little puzzle. Because if you take Nero Caesar... And you translate, transliterate the, the letters into Hebrew and, and spell it a certain way. There are different ways to spell it if you do that, but this spelling is attested in inscriptions. Translate Nero Caesar into Hebrew letters. It would be Neron Kesser, Neron Kesser. You take the letters. You add up the numbers of the letters. Guess what you come up with? Guess what the total is? 666 the number of a man. It's the number of the beast. In fact, you know, uh, uh, people did this. You could tell people did this because there's one writer who brings out how there was an expression that went around the first century that time. And it was, uh, the expression was, here's a new calculation. Nero, comma, murdered his own mother. So if you take the Greek letters of Nero and add them up, you get a total. And if you take the expression, murdered his mother, and add those numbers up, you get the same number. They equal each other. So this was actually kind of a, a convincing argument in the first century. If you were, you were in the first century, you would be familiar with Gematria, and it would be like, like that would kind of carry some weight. And So people actually kind of it was added evidence that, yeah, Nero murdered his own mother. It's the same number, you know? So people kind of felt like there was a significance. There was a, a kind of added connection between two words that had the same number. And guess what John is doing here? This is, he's, it's, I mean, the work of Revelation is really a literary masterpiece in addition to all the other things it, 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 uh, it is. Because he's not just being mysterious here, he's making a connection for us. Because if you take on the Greek word for beast, and you, again, transliterate the letters into Hebrew. Do the same thing. You add up the letters of the transliteration of the word beast in Hebrew. Guess what number you come up with? 666. It's pretty cool, right? You see what John is doing? He's giving kind of Evidence, conclusive evidence, apocalyptic Gematria style, that this ruler is a beast. In fact, he's not only a beast, he's the beast. He is the actual effort of Satan to stop the kingdom of heaven, to come against the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's saying. So John is calling for the people at that time, to understand the persecution of the church is happening from these first century emperors, these different heads of the beast, and trying to help them understand it from a divine perspective. It might seem like you're losing first century Christians, but you are not losing. God has a different way of winning, the way of overcoming, the way of conquering, we started to talk about last week so one more thing that you can read in this passage you like you read verse three and you say the mortal the the head of the beast is a mortal wound and then he's healed see that in verse three so what is going on there how could the head have a mortal wound and then be healed and this is something that's repeated, actually. It's repeated in this chapter the head that has a wound and then is healed. It's kind of a theme. And in a later chapter, chapter 17, it comes out as the one who was and is not and will be again. And it's like, what's going on there with the beast? Well, in AD 68, Nero, his, his, his atrocities finally were catching up with him. And he was actually coming to be held account. And he went on, he went, he fleed to a certain place and he committed suicide. And that was chaotic. It was a it was a chaotic time. It ended the the only dynasty that they had known at that time from the from the Roman Empire, the Julio-Claudian dynasty, and it plunged the entire known world there into chaos. Because suddenly the power wasn't there anymore. And it people the, the, the empire felt like it was disintegrating. felt like it was just crumbling. And so nobody knew what was going to happen, but, but one thing everybody was sure of, and that was the power of the empire was over. When Nero committed suicide, that was it. That was the end. And then what happened the following year, 869, is the rise of Vespasian. And Vespasian came to power at that time and it was just like, almost like a, re- a reincarnation. It was like the, the power came back into the empire. He turned around and he squashed the Jewish result, re- revolt in Israel and in Palestine. He squashed these other revolts, completely put them down. And so the power of Rome was there again. And it seemed almost miraculous. People thought the empire had fallen apart and then Vespasian came in. And the empire power came back again. What was it? It was the resuscitation of the beast. It was the power of the beast coming back. If you lived through those events in AD 69, or they were a memory for you, you would be deeply affected by these things. Deeply affected by them. And it would make Rome seem invincible. In fact, there was a graffiti that was found you know, in the excavation of Ephesus. And, you know, if you're ever in western Turkey, fantastic place to go. It's a miraculous, it's an it's incredible excavation of Ephesus. And the graffiti found on the wall said this, quote, "'Rome, ruler of all, your power will never die.'" Unquote. Now read verse 4. Now read verse 4 and what it says, and you begin to understand what it would mean to the first audience. The imperial power just cannot be challenged. Who is like the beast? Who can fight against the beast? Gets a mortal wound and it recovers. Now those are the headlines that I would, I would propose to you are behind chapter 19, rather than the Beatles or helicopters. And John is still doing something you know uh, very clever here it's still fun, but that allows us, friends, to read this passage, I think, as it, as it should be so we could bring it forward to our times. Does it have relevance for today? Oh, yes. Is it important for us today? Yes. What does it tell us? It tells us something that we could be just as, as surprised by as the first century Christians, that the times of the beast are allowed. That, verse two, power from governments that rise to oppose God, comes from the devil. The dragon is the devil. And he empowers governments to rise, to oppose what God is doing, to oppose the coming of the kingdom on earth. And it's bitter, it's bitter to hear, but verse 5, the times of persecution are sometimes given. Whether you call it 42 months or whether you call it 1,260 days, or whether you call it three and a half years, that's what the number means, that there are times of persecution, times when the church is being faithful, and those times are times when the rage of the beast is being felt. And verse 7, the government will be allowed to persecute Christians. Christians. That's the mystery, that's the secret, remember, of the unsealed scroll in, verses 10, in chapters 10 and 11 we looked at last time. This is how the kingdom comes. And it's bitter to our stomach because this is tough. This is fearful. You know that? The proper way to read verse 2, You know, we read verse 2 and it's like, let's describe the beast. He's like a leopard, he's like a bear, he's like a lion. And we read that And, you know, we're used to going to the zoo, and so we think, oh, isn't that cute? You know, a bear, he rolls over, he shakes his claw, you know, we see the leopard behind bars, and we say, how beautiful. That's not the way to read verse 2. The way to read verse 2 is is to realize you're in front of a wild animal, and the only appropriate response is to be afraid to call out to God, because that's what you do in front of a wild animal. Let me tell you, I was recently actually in this Asia Minor, as they call it, recently there. And I was surrounded by wild bears. I was in an area where there were wild bears that were roaming. And let me tell you something. Wild bears don't ask any questions. They just come and they tear whatever they want to. They take whatever they want to. They're angry. Watch out. So the proper response to verse 2 is be afraid. Be very afraid. Because these times are are allowed. And are they happening today? Oh, yes. Are these things happening today? Oh, yes. In certain parts of the world, they're happening. They're happening. You could clearly see it in Afghanistan now as we speak. You know, there are Christians... We prayed We prayed for Afghanistan this morning. I was grateful for that. But, you know, pray for the Christians there. There are Christians in Afghanistan. There's a population of Christians, not a large one. And they are disappearing because the Taliban is hunting down Christians to kill them, to execute them, to instill fear, fear in the people. That is happening as we speak. And organizations that are responsible for... You know, trying to have some kind of foot on the ground to try to provide safe havens for these people, they say that the Christians are 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 kind of disappearing before they can even get to them. This is all happening so quickly. They try to provide these safe havens because if you are known as a Christian, you know you'll be taken out, and so they try to hide them. But then it's not very safe because then they run out of food and water in these places. It's tough. You know, we got a report recently from one of the organizations. There's organizations like International Christian Concern that they're beheading children. There was a, uh, two boys in a family, a 10-year-old, an 11-year-old. They were beheaded for the family being Christian. Now read Revelation chapter 20, verse 4 with that background that the beast is given power, that the beast comes back and is allowed power. So I think you can find that news feed in Revelation. And watch what happens as John's words come true. Watch what happens to the church in Afghanistan as this happens. Watch what happens to the kingdom as it spreads. But, friends, we can take a lot from this passage. We can understand that as we look at the world, all governments are going to seek power. Some are more beastly than others, but all of them eventually get there. We can step back and say that Christianity has had a leavening effect in the Western civilization, and it has actually given, uh, made for governments where power was more limited. That's happened in the world. But the push is still there from the pit of hell to increase the power. And the more that a government becomes like the government in this chapter, the more, the more beastly it is. How do, I, how do I know a government's becoming beastly? Well, you can look. There's shows of power, verse 3, that bring people to follow so that it feels invincible. There's, there are times, verse 6, where the government starts to speak in a way that takes over God's place. And we, as Christians, verse eight, are the ones who could really recognize and not be deceived about what's going on. So you, we all need to look at our governments and, and you know, we actually need to speak politically. Maybe we'll do that next week because the, the book of Revelation is so political, it does. But we have to reckon with verse 10, anyone in the situation of a beastly government. because What is, what is John saying in verse 10? He's saying basically what, what Jesus said, when he said, resist not evil. If taken captive, to captivity we go. If the sword comes, under the sword we go, says John. That's what he's saying. This is a call to the saints about how to overcome, how to bring the kingdom in, and it, and it very much depends on being faithful witnesses and being willing to suffer in the midst of suffering, being faithful, trusting him. So we have to care, be carefully think about our response, what battles we will fight and what battles we should not fight. Well, overall, we can say this as well, finally. And that is the power that's coming forth from the dragon is always, always to provide a counterfeit for the true power and the true God. So in Revelation, we have this satanic trinity of the dragon, who is the devil, the dragon the beast from the the sea, and the beast from the earth, or the false prophet. There's this satanic trinity that comes forth. What? To to be an imitation, to be a a cheap replica of the true God and the true power. And so you see it even in verse 2 in our passage, right? The dragon gives his authority and power to the beast, What is that? It's an imitation of how the one on the throne, the one who is and was and is to come, gives his power and authority to Christ, to the lamb who was slain. And when Rome returns to power, what is that? That's the devil giving an imitation of the real and kind of really to distract from the real story, which is the one who took an actual mortal wound and then returned in power. That is Jesus Christ. Because he was the one who took an actual mortal wound and actually returned and rose from the dead to receive actual power. He is the one with the power. And evil will be recompensed for that reason. He will make sure of it. And on the other side, you know, those Afghan Christians will be dressed in white robes, washed in the blood of the Lamb, and will have more reward than you can imagine. That's what is being assured to us in the book of Revelation. That's something that Revelation makes abundantly clear. So let's not be distracted by the false imitation. Let us turn our worship and turn our calls to the one who really did receive a mortal wound and returned and the one who has power, the one we can cry out to, and he will return. Let's turn our attention to worship him now.